Should we do a three, two, one? Okay. Three, two, two one. one. Hello. Hello. We've got the countdown in there now as and, well. And welcome to Countdown, the Countdown podcast. Don't forget your tea. It's Shut Up and Sit Down, the podcast, and we're back. And we're going to talk about some games, aren't we, Paul? Because I made that for you. Oh, it's really cold. It's not really cold. Good. Um, yeah, we've got a, a list of stuff. And how many is on the list? About eight things? We've nine? got about eight different games we're going to be talking about today. Stuff we've been playing. Um, or occasionally stuff one of us has played, or just stuff is, that's interesting. Yeah. Which is quite a few things, which is good. Because board um, games are so interesting right now. I always tell this to We need my to tell our audience that, because a lot of them don't like board games. Yeah. I've, I've, heard. <laughs> I've heard. Yeah. They're not keen on that. They uh, mostly come to the site for you. I might be... <laughs> I might be wrong, but I think everything on this list today uh, is actually a good game, which is pretty unique to us. Yeah, probably. Okay. Should we get started? Should yeah, we just, no, should I'm just thinking about it. Yeah, no, yep, 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 yep. Okay, so as, di- as with the last podcast, we're going to roll some dice, and okay. depending on the dice, right. we're going to talk yes. about a different game. Okay, here we go. You see sound effects. The first game. That's a five. We're running 2d6 here, fact fans. Because this, yep. Five. Uh, We're starting with Resistance Avalon. Okay. Uh, I played Resistance Avalon a couple of times recently. We've talked about it briefly before, haven't we? Well, we've reviewed it in the... Oh, well, no. We reviewed Resistance Resistance. So the Resistance uh, that we reviewed all the way back in episode three of our first season, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So that's a game where... uh, Just a game of talking and lying and being horrible. Game of talking, lying, bluffing, hidden roles. Uh, you know, you have a group of people like minimum five, and the smaller fraction of the group are bad guys who yeah. are trying to sabotage the good guys. Yeah, so you're all members of an underground resistance cell. The good guys are trying to go on missions, and uh, and the bad guys are trying to sabotage those missions by um, uh, by being sent on the missions, then playing sabotage cards. But even after the mission comes back, if it's got a sabotage in it, you don't know who played it. No, you just know whether it's succeeded or failed. That's right. a difficult word to say. I succeeded. Might succeeded. You might be terrible at English. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. And so. succeeding. <laughs> um, so, uh, <coughs> The Resistance Avalon is the sequel to The Resistance, um, and we, we adore it, frankly. Let's just get that out of the way. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Because so it's the same game, but, like, modded or with an expansion pack. It or, is. Um, it, it, yeah, well, well, we'll get to what it misses from the original version, which is the plot thickens cards. But uh, the Resistance Avalon changes that day after tomorrow setting for a sort of Arthurian knight thing where you're all knights of the round table, uh, again going off on quests. Uh, is that uh, a, a knightly trumpet? Yes. And uh, keep go- sorry, keep going. No, uh, gonna, I've got my flow on. Um, and uh, yeah, the diff- the big difference though is that one player around the table, so you've got the bad guys who are secret and they know who each other are. Then you've got the good guys who don't know who anyone is, except for now, we've got this Merlin uh, type. And Merlin changes everything. Because he knows who the bad guys are. Yeah. And the bad guys don't know who Merlin is, because through a clever sequence of different people having eyes closed at different times... <laughs> and thumbs I, up. Yes. Uh, the, res- uh, the bad guys get to identify each other, and then Merlin gets to identify the bad guys. But... And that in itself is is... An addition to the game, isn't it? Because throughout that game, you have Merlin knowing who the bad guys are, but he can't reveal that because at the end of the game, if the bad guys ID who Merlin is... Or was throughout the game. So even if the bad guys don't successfully sabotage any missions, if at the end they know who Merlin is, they win. Yeah. Which which is huge. It's a big change, and it forces Merlin into a really difficult position of trying not to reveal that he knows who the bad guys are, but also trying to stop anyone doing anything with bad guys. <laughs> and then that's one character, isn't it? Because there's more. Yeah, so the, the uh, there's all kinds of additions you can play with in Avalon. We played it just this weekend, I think, and the first one released 
a pretty simple one is Percival. And Percival uh, learns who Merlin is while this thumb-up, eyes-closed kind of swingers part- non-contact swingers party is happening at the beginning yeah. of the game. Um, Percival opens his eyes and secretly looks at Merlin. Merlin doesn't know who Percival is, so there's one good guy who knows that they have to pay attention to this other good guy and what they say without giving anything away. But obviously he can't give away who Merlin is because then the bad guys will know right. who Merlin is and they'll win, but he doesn't <laughs> want to follow what Merlin does because that will help the good guys win. And of course it's in the good guy's interest to pretend to be Percival <laughs> because they can then say, look, I just... I'm Percival and I think we should do it and that that just yeah. confuses everyone so the great thing that happened in our game on the weekend was that um, uh, as I was playing a spy I was playing a bad guy and I think I, I pretty much figured out who Merlin was because towards the end of the game he just started going no you know what I don't trust you know Mayan I don't trust Quentin and, and, and he was entirely correct and I just thought no he's panicking he's Merlin and then the player to my right who was new to Avalon said in a moment of frustration no look everyone listen to me I'm Merlin and I think we shouldn't trust these people. And he was right as well. And as a spy, that that, that threw me, because suddenly I, I said to him, well, if you're Merlin, you've just given the game away, so here's hoping you're not Merlin. And I didn't know if that was a real mistake. I didn't know if he's actually just given the game away and was Merlin, or if he was playing a clever double bluff. Yeah, or it might be in the interest of another player on the team to pretend to be Merlin to take... You know, to try and take the hit near the end of the game. Yeah, and it's oh, it's just yeah. fabulous. And uh, so there's there's more characters. And there's, there. more characters. There's, there's more characters. There's more characters. On uh, the bad guy side, there's Oberon. Should we come to him next? Yeah, Ob- uh, yeah. So Oberon is um, is funny because the resistance is always a game where the spies know who the other spies are, and Merlin now knows who the spies are. Oberon's interesting because he doesn't know who anyone is despite being a bad guy and the bad guys don't know who Oberon is so you've got a member of your team just a total wild card uh, and and it means that if you get sent on a mission let's say me the spy gets sent on a mission with somebody who I know isn't a spy they still might be Oberon so if we both play sabotage cards and they come up then everybody knows who we both are no that's all that's a crippling blow it's really unusual isn't it because obviously yeah. the the whole point of the bad guys team is to try and secretly coordinate in plain sight of everyone else and try and negotiate their way onto mission <laughs> yeah if if there's more than one on a mission they don't want to give you know they don't want to give more than one failure vote yeah because that potentially robs more people out of the game whereas Oberon can't do any of that negotiating he doesn't know what's going on he just he doesn't. doesn't know see this is why I like it because usually with the resistance you know the real resistance members have to figure out who the spies are the spies don't actually have to do a lot of thinking they have to do a lot of lying lying and yeah uh, and but, being really sneaky right so but with this suddenly I was a spy and I'm, I'm thinking so who's Merlin and who's Percival and who's Oberon you, you it's an incredibly exhausting game for the spies in a really good way there's also Morgana Yes, okay, yeah, who is another uh, another bad guy. A bad guy whose special <clears throat> power isn't that she knows anything, but the Morgana character appears as Merlin to whoever Percival is. Yeah. So when Percival opens their eyes... They uh, see two Merlins. They see two Merlins, both of which are the thumbs up, which is actually not a necessarily a penalty, because <laughs> you know that one of them's Merlin, you know that one of them isn't Merlin, but that also means you're looking at one spy straight in the face, yeah. if you can just figure out who they are. Um, yeah, and then actually, ah, ah, now, see, this is annoying. The really, really funny stuff in the Resistance Avalon was actually Kickstarter rewards. Do you know about this? 
So the fi- <laughs> N- yes, no. Right. So um, the rules what? are available on Board Game Geek for free, but you yes. don't get any of those nice tokens, which yes. is annoying. So the first one, I'm just going to say this and see what your reaction is. As a, as a veteran Resistance player with the sort of with the eye twitch and the thousand yard stare, who's yeah. just lied more. Yeah. So Excalibur, right? When the leader, of, whoever the leader is for that round, is assembling the team, you can give someone Excalibur. And what that means, Excalibur doesn't have to be taken out of its display case. You can leave it. And you might want to because it's nightmarish. When you give it to someone who's going on that mission, maybe yourself, Excalibur's power is that the person may optionally use it after the team members have put in success or failure cards to force someone to take their card back and put in the other one. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. So if you think you know who someone is a spy and you, and you say it, and then you swap their cards. You don't know. For a start, you don't know if um, if if they deliberately played a success because they knew you were going to use Excalibur no, on and them. Of course, and then you've got the the thing where the leader might be a spy, so they'll do that. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, to make someone else look bad or just to ruin a mission, and it, it's immediately impossible to know what the hell <coughs> is going on. Yeah. At any point. So ever. even. F- <laughs> Even funnier than this is Lancelot. Now, I can see why they didn't include these things, because they are just so absurd. Lancelot, obviously, in Arthurian fiction, betrays Arthur or sleeps with his wife? I can't... I think he, he falls for his wife. I yeah. don't know if he goes as far as betraying, but there is... I definitely of... know I kill Lancelot in Shadows of a Camelot. Um, anyways, Ooh. yeah. Ah. So, Lancelot, if you choose to play with him, there are two Lancelot cards that are given out at the beginning of the game. One good Lancelot, one evil Lancelot. So one of the evil oh. characters is Lancelot. One of the good ones is Lancelot. Okay. And they're both on their respective teams. Evil Lancelot doesn't know who anyone is. Now, at the start of the third mission of five, you draw a card from the Lancelot deck, which will say either nothing happens or Lancelot players switch roles. So whoever's good is now for the evil team, <laughs> whoever's evil is now for the good team. And that's without anyone knowing who Lancelot is. Yes. So if that card comes up, anyone could say, Okay, I'm Lancelot, I'm now a good guy. I can tell you that I did this. I sabotaged that last mission you need which of course could be a lie. Yeah, absolute nonsense basically. And it's so much pretty fun. neat. Yeah, it's yeah. just clever. Wow. So but I'm grumpy, Paul. I'm really grumpy. You know why? I d- I d- I could leave and you'll just say why anyway. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> so, um, the first Resistance game came with an expansion called the Plot Thickens cards, which yeah. are cards that the leader can get and give to people. Special one-shot powers. They're special, like, events in the game. Right. Yeah. So, if you look in the manual for Avalon, it says, you can use Plot Thickens cards with Avalon if you want, but they didn't include them. And that, I mean, so clearly, I mean, maybe they're building up some kind of ultimate edition, as was the case with Werewolf, where they'll box everything in one superset. But for now, it's like, they release this Arthurian game where everything has these beautiful sword and shield and stone tokens, and then they say, if you want to play from, with the sci-fi cards from the other game of ours you bought, you can. It's like... It's a little bit of a shame, because you would think that a kit like that would have everything that you'd need, and you don't actually have a reason to buy the old set. No, really. except to get this expansion, which makes it kind of a savvy move on their part, but mostly it's... Savvy move or an oversight, or... Well, maybe maybe they couldn't do it for printing reasons, but no, no, I'm angry. No, let, we can't talk about Avalon anymore. We have to move on to another game. I'm too angry. I can't believe that you're angry. I'm so ang- yeah, angry. Do you want to very- take your anger out on the dice? Okay, here we go. Gently, because there's not much table. No, there's not. Okay, here we go. We've got a six, which is X-Wing. Or X-Bling. X-Bling, because expensive and shiny and a bit sort and of pre-painted. Simple. Uh, so what we're talking about here is Fantasy Flight's new X-Wing miniatures game. A game... In space. In space. It's basically Wings of War in space. 
And the, it's funny you mentioned pre-painted. There's a lot of pre-painted stuff out there, but these are actually genuinely really quite nice. Yeah, I, I was around my friend's house, and he's he's buying one of everything. He's got the tie interceptor. He's got the Millennium Falcon and Slave One now. And um, you get all these packs, and all of them have cards and dice and laser tokens and stuff, and lamp and proximity mines now, yeah, yeah. so people can fly into them. And, um, and, and they I, all look good. Yeah, but they all come in small boxes. And I said to him, well, what on earth is your storage solution? And he looked at me and said, with a glint in his eye and said, why would you want to put these away? <laughs> and I realised, oh, yeah, of course, these are such gorgeous tokens, you can just leave them on your shelf, you know? Well, that's true, yeah. You can do that, or you could... I was just... It's not very... Yeah, no. I was just imagining putting them all in a piggy bank or something. Well, like a plastic Which, bag? Well, it would work. It would. But, you know, if you and you just arrange the, the ships on your shelf in a nice formation. Because they a, do look good. I've seen a lot of good stuff on Board Game Geek to do with making storage solutions out of Lego. Which is a kind of hobby within a hobby. I quite like that. Yeah, I've seen Lego dice towers before. Yeah. So which is a very complicated way to roll uh, some Can dice. I just say I have no idea how dice towers work? I mean, like, if, you, if you're not aware, dice towers are small objects you use, you know, rather than running the yeah. dice across the table. You drop them in the top, and they come out the bottom, and they're different. But, like, okay, so some of them have follies and baffles? They, as far as I know, I've never looked inside one, because I've never, I've never ventured that, that deep yet. But I, <laughs> I understand there are... Uh, particular architectural and engineering contrivances that make dice bounce around and rotate that very slightly alter things like the flow of time and the power of gravity. So, I see. Or occasionally just vortex the dice to a different dimension where they're swapped out by a team of... So what you're saying is if you own a dice tower, don't ever look inside it because your house will just be a crater the next morning as, you know, all of this stuff is... I'm just saying that's what's on the boxes for most of them is just the safety warnings. Just read the instructions. What were we talking about? X-Wing! X-Wing looks... Well, they... Have you played X-Wing? I've played X-Wing now, I think, only once. Uh, and the rules are quite simple, which is... Uh, the th- that's the thing I like about it. It's a sort of a return to... I guess people of our sort of age who might have played some Warhammer tabletop yeah. stuff when so we were this younger. Is, this is what kind of frustrates me a little bit. It really is a miniatures game, and I can't, you know, shout at Fantasy Flight for that, because obviously it's, it's, an, it's in the name, you know, X-Wing yeah. miniatures game. But still, what you must know is that when you buy that starter kit, you're not really buying a game, you know? You're buying a few ships you can fling at each other and roll some dice and have some fun. But being a miniatures game, most of the game is in assembling an army and, like, deciding, I want this ship with this pilot, with this laser, yeah. and I'm going to fly it in this way... Which is which? So when you get it to the table, and you know you can invite your friends around and stuff, but you're not totally playing the full experience. It's, yeah, it's kind of that pick and mix warfare, isn't it? Of I want two of this and I want one of those, and uh, I guess there is a little bit of the budget limit. I suppose. Yeah. The, okay. I mean, the flat the flat fact is, if you want to get a couple of armies, you're looking at 120 quid or something, yeah. which is so much money. So I've been, but buying three separate. Board games. Really. Yeah, yeah, and that's why you know I, I still can't recommend it yet. You know, it's like it's absolutely something for collectors and our, our readers, as far as I can tell. Just like you know, but I bet you would say that if someone else had it and they invited you round, you would play it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and uh, and I would want Slave One because it's huge. Have you seen our big Millennium and Falcon and Slave One? Are? I've seen. I haven't seen a Slave One picture. I've seen a Millennium One picture, and it is about the size of the Millennium Falcon which is in like, real life. like a bus next to a car yeah. kind of thing which is is good I like the way they've done that and Fantasy Flight are such evil geniuses because they've very publicly gone on the record as saying the Millennium Falcon and Slave 1 are only medium sized ships so you know there's going to be a, 
oh, God knows what next, and it's going to be huge. It's going to be fabulous. That's interesting, and we could talk about that for a while, and probably shouldn't. But they they can't <laughs> they can't do anything massive. I don't know enough about Star Wars. What's a step up from the Millennium Falcon? Inside? You'd have to go for like really small uh, capital ships, like a Corvette or something, surely, because you couldn't have the, the Star, Star Destroyer, Destroyer would be yeah. like the size of your room. I've seen people to scale, are, right? <laughs> Although I guess if you had a Lego Star Destroyer, and you were happy having someone pick that up and move it every. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's move on because we're getting okay. into some deep, uh, deep nerdery. We can do this privately later. That's a seven. They're gonna come up a lot. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, that's Spartacus. Your Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. No, Spartacus. I'm not Spartacus. He didn't come up in my game. I couldn't really? buy him. Yeah. He, is he in the game? Yeah. I didn't see him. I didn't know he was actually, but that would make sense. Spartacus. <laughs> Spartacus, ah. yeah. So Spartacus was a surprise at last year. It is basically a pretty great game, despite being a license of the sh- of a TV series in America, which is okay. I didn't think you were going to say it was great. You've well, surprised me a bit. Uh, I don't think it's our kind of game. So what... It, it's. I like the idea behind it a, a lot. So, so pl- do I. Players are all gladi- gladiatorial houses. Houses, houses, and uh, and essentially stuff comes up on the market, and you know slaves and weapons and gladiators, and you spend your gold to buy it, and then you know you fight in the arena and you you bid auction. There's so many auctions in this game. I love auctions, closed fist auctions as well. Yeah, um, and then play. So maybe I win the bid, and I say, Paul, would you like to fight? And I ask you because I know your gladiators are all terrible, and I send in my good one, and and then all the other players can put money and bet on the fights. So you can't bet against yourself, uh, which is key, because what happened in my first game is that people would just bet against themselves and then make money from deliberately killing them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you? So you didn't like it? I, I found it was quite good. I quite liked it. I had fun playing it. Um, it's not so much that I didn't like it. I did... Afterwards, I started to think about the... How... The words, uh, the replayability, I guess, the long-term kind of appeal, would I want to play it a lot? Because I found it a bit... I really like that there's different routes to victory in the game, which is good. There's different powers you can employ. Yeah, you have to get 10 influence, and you can get influence from... 12 influence. Oh, yes, 12. interest rates nowadays (laughs) are ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you um, and you can do that from sort of winning fights or playing cards and sort of scraping influence. And you can obviously players. nudge influence down on other people, and there's different ways of doing that, sort of underhand. Yeah, but you know what? You're which right. Is good. I played it once, and it was okay. Well, I played it twice now. It was okay, but like, I don't want to get it off my shelf again until I bought the expansion, and that's ah. kind of hypocritical because I just want more stuff, I want more variety, I want more color, I want things I haven't seen, which is pretty hypocritical of me because I'm like warning people away from X Wing because you need to keep buying stuff to to make it a decent set to play with and then with Spartacus I get two games and now I want an expansion that doesn't seem actually I don't know if that's such a weird idea because with Spartacus when I played it the thing that put me off a little bit I found it a little too a little too random there are a lot of things that happen that whether I had certain cards I could or couldn't do anything about it apparently there's loads of interrupt cards I could have played in the game I hardly ever got any right so I couldn't there wasn't enough traction between me and the other players when we fought. There was because we were directly yeah. fighting with our dudes in the arena. But that was more of a sort of a stats thing than a surprise power. Right. See, and you know what? The surprise powers. This card. Th- this is in a lot of American style games, and I really don't like it. The fact that players get hands of cards and they all get one, and it can be anything. It can be like I got a card which was uh, if your gladiator dies in the arena, gain an influence, and it's just that turns the whole game on its head. So. There's so much hidden information, and I just hate that 
that it, it seems so childish to me that 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 system which so many American style games have of you try and do something and another player goes ha ha no you can't because I've played a card and you and go, there was nothing you could do about well, it because you didn't know I had it that's not particularly fun for it's me it's not very tactical it's like the what was the was it Starfleet Star Trek Fleet Captains that has a couple of cards like that as well where someone says oh you did a thing actually that thing really helped me but there was no way for you to know beforehand yeah and especially because these games tend to thrive on having a great variety of cards it's not like there are you know four different cards so you can guess maybe they will or won't have it it's yeah. like you know, but I like Twilight Imperium, but I hate the fact that I've got like 150 different action cards now, and you have no idea going into a fight if you know somebody's going to play a rousing speech and, and yeah. rookie pilot. Like what? <laughs> yeah, which is fine, and I think that's a valid criticism. And I think it might be the case that you are waiting for an expansion because you're hoping it might give you a bit more traction in the game to actually feel like you're more in control of what's going on. Well, I, I don't know if no, that's it. It's like it's more like Wiz War where. I play the game mm. and I, like Wiz War and Spartacus yeah. both in my head have the same space if I play it the game's <laughs> really interesting to me but it doesn't quite work and you don't know what you're going to do if you go back and play next time you don't have a tactic or yeah. anything do you and I feel like for, the, for me to enjoy that I need it to be so absurd I need Spartacus to have a ridiculous variety of things can happen I need Wiz War to have an insane quantity of spells because as it happens it's like it's crazy but it's relatively mundane crazy which yeah. is otherwise known as, yeah, it's, like, it's more like something you want to put in a home yeah, and that's that's fine. Um, and it, I, I'm afraid I kind of agree with you. There's, there's incomplete information that's not. It's not very exciting. Incomplete information. If if you're playing poker, which has got incomplete information because you don't know what cards everyone has, you still know which cards are good cards and what <coughs> would be a good thing to have happen for yeah. them. You know, you can. Poker's all about discerning from someone's actions whether they've got a good or bad hand. And that's not what happens in Spartacus. <laughs> is it? So yeah. No, it's all uh, slightly ridiculous, but I think I'm going to get the expansion and then we'll get a review on Shuttle and Sit Down. Just because you have a problem. I do have a problem with expansions. Jeez, what's wrong with me? I'm going to roll some dice. Do it! Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Hold them near the... There we go. That's a seven. seven. No, should we go upwards rather than... Okay, so... Right, let's go from something with a lot of cards to something more soothing, non-violent, and uh, with with. I can't read that. It's the cave, and you've drawn a picture. That's opposite. not me. That was my friend. Okay. So the cave. <laughs> the cave. Right, the cave. Is, we looked at K two, didn't we? And we love it. K two is very good, and also uh, probably this is the case with the cave. Maybe K two is pretty accessible, and I would take it round to just anyone's house yes. and try to play it with them. So K two is a game by a Polish designer we really like, all about climbing a mountain, and it's really it's what it's the rarest thing in gaming because it's so rich in theme. You really do feel like you're climbing a mountain, and it's cold and and it's so plausible, and yet it doesn't have the the chaos, the the luck, the the randomness of, of thematic games. It rewards good planning. It's easy to understand. The rules uh, don't really get in the way very much, which is a very good mix yep. in and a board game. Meanwhile, so the cave is the designer's next game, and he, he's he, as far as uh, I know, he's he's big into sort of extreme sports. He climbs mountains. That's what K two came from. He also does caving, I think, and so that's where the cave comes from. A game about, and I'm quoting the box here, exploring the cave in the most excellent way. <laughs> Wow, uh, sexy spelunking in a cave with a lot of squeezing because it involves so much squeezing. So the way the cave works is oh that God. unlike K two, where you're racing up a mountain and trying not to die <laughs> um, by going too fast or not acclimatizing or whatever, 
Um, the cave is a game where you have no idea what the board looks like because you get to explore it. Yeah, you lay it out uh, Carcassonne style almost, just putting yeah. tiles down one by one as you, you have a, a dude and he rushes, or she, rushes to the edge of a tile uh, and steps into it and you go, oh, look, it's... Uh, it's a squeeze. It's a squeeze. <laughs> Another squeeze. Fancy that, because there's a few of those. Would you like to describe, the as well as the squeeze, the other... <laughs> Yeah, sure. The um, joys of caving. So essentially, the, the, you start off in the central tile, and then you can fill your backpack with whatever you want, and you, you can have food, which will let you go deeper. Yeah. And uh, you can have cameras, which will let you take photographs of underground wonders. Uh, you can have rope, which is really cool. It's sort of when you encounter tiles that are just drops, you lay the rope, and um, and then there's scuba gear and rafts. And there's also your tent. We'll get to the tent later. Uh, oh, God. I'll, if you don't mind, I'll cover the tent, because the tent is, is a very <laughs> neat thing. But, sorry, um, no. Yeah, so... So what can I find in... Pretend I've never played the cave. What can I find in a cave? You can find... Quintin. Well, it's... God, you can find... Mostly... It it actually sounds really mundane. It's like, you can find tight squeezes, you can find sheer drops, you can find lakes and and dinosaur bones at one point. Yeah. Um, If you get deep enough. But, um, what's... Which sounds mundane, but actually, as soon as you, you know, you go down and you, you find your first drop and you lay some rope, and you go down, and you get the points for laying the rope. You get the points for going down to 25 feet. Then, you know, immediately after, let's say, you find another drop. And you go, well, I don't have the rope for that. What's yeah. down there? Well, you see, this is the thing. First of all, uh, I like that you're laying out a board immediately as you explore. And, you you know, here you have, you have a drop here, or you have a lake here. But so much of it is actually inventory management, isn't it? It's yeah. what you choose to put on your little player's board. That's the game, really. It's, yeah. um, so I've got this much oxygen, right. I've got this many ropes, I've got this many spaces, so it's up to me what I pick. The food is, is the key thing. It's every single turn you have to throw away a consumable. It's a little picture of Powerade and a battery. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, but that actually ends up taking up a lot of space really quickly, and you want at least four food, but then you start thinking, well, if I had seven food and, like... A camera, I could just run off taking photos, and uh, yeah, at which point you're just praying you don't encounter lakes and and it, there's also a lot of when you get to the sort of like the real deep tactics, it comes down to looking at other people. Like let's say you set off with um with just nothing but rope, yeah. That's because you also get this is key a lot of points for doing the most of a certain thing. If you if you put force yourself through the most squeezes, you get do it a first, massive bonus. Do it first or do it a lot yeah. is basically the rule. Exactly. Yeah. And so, if I notice you running off with all your rope, I think, well, actually, if I take my camera and my raft, I can pick up those explorations that you're going to be running past. Yeah. And then you, the player, will realise, oh, he's just following me, which makes speleologists seem really passive-aggressive. <laughs> and I'm wondering if this game was inspired by him, you know, being followed by I someone in real life. Totally. I can imagine someone deliberately taking a different route in a cave to try and see everything first just, <laughs> just touch it first to yeah. say that he's touched it first um, the, it's quite tactical isn't it although you've got the random element of laying down tokens to explore you do want to be careful what you take with you what you aim for and the, really one of the key things is the time that you waste if you get to a dead end or you get to something you can't yeah. cross you have to run back which is where the tent comes in God bless the tent when you deploy your tent you can fill it with stuff and use it as like a waypoint or a checkpoint between yourself and the stuff. this is problematic isn't it? I can't imagine how it could possibly be <laughs> problematic so what'll happen hypothetically if you were terrible uh, not to say I'm terrible but but yeah. So what you, we were okay when we uh, done fine. We so good. I run off and I deploy my tent, you know, down and I get the food out of it and I run off and then I'm doing my calculations as mm. to I've just enough food to get back. 
And I do this, and I realise, hang on, no, I only have enough food to get back if I don't spend the time to repack my tent. So you go, no, because then you're stuck for the rest of the game without a tent. And honestly, the tent's kind of advanced. You could perfectly well play the game without it. It's that tricky. Because it takes points to fill, takes points to deploy, takes points to pack up. And it's again, it's all about using your time wisely and trying to work out whether it's worth going down a route, whether it's worth spending a turn. So basically, if the game then is returning to the central point to refill your supplies and venturing off again, the tent is essentially a sort of a branch coming off that game. You don't think A to B to A, you think A to B to C to B to A, which gets tricky fast. Yeah, but you're right, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Let's save our opinion for whether it's better than K2 for the actual review. But it was fun. It was fun. It It was a lot of fun, and we'd recommend it to anybody. Um, And uh, they've got... No, I won't won't complain about the promo tiles I didn't get, and I can't find online. Oh, really? Yeah, um, you can get things like uh, wonders that are also lakes or drops that are also squeezes. And, yeah, clearly I need those because I need variety in my cave, and I can't find them! But that's also a good idea. Yeah. Three. Three... That's a rare roll. That's a rare roll for a rare game. A rare game of Libertalia. Libertalia is... Libertalia is a very boring name, first of all, so people at home shouldn't tune out. Because it's pirates. Yeah, you know what? Where, why is it called Libertalia? It's the name of your ship, isn't is it? Is it? I think so. I just... I didn't... I immediately didn't... Oh, no, sorry. Libertalia, with... I think, in some kind of pirate fiction, is the name of the pirate haven where pirates can all live together and be ah. free. I might have just made that up. No, I don't know. That, that's. I mean, I don't. I'm the least well-read person in the planet. <laughs> on the planet. In the planet. <laughs> in the planet. Evidently. Okay, so Paul, um, uh, I've come round to your house. You say we're going to play Libertalia. I go. That sounds boring. Should I be bored? Yeah. No. Good. Um, Libertalia is really easy to pick up, which is an- again another thing I like it, and I'm increasingly yeah, appreciating great. in my old age. It's a card game of in your old age. In my increasing... It's a card game of... Um, having a deck of sailors, with all who have different abilities and a different value, yeah, so like a suit. Everybody has the same sailors, don't they? Yes, you that's draw true. Eight, you draw six out of a deck of 30, and everyone has the same hand of cards. And that's your hand for a round of play. Um, and you can play these in any order that you want, bearing in mind that everyone has a special power... And depending on whether you've picked a high number or a low number, they're going to be laid out in a certain order on the board in front of you, and then their powers are going to activate in sequence. Right. And those powers could be nice things like get extra treasure, because you're all trying to collect treasure. Right, so this is the key thing. Or, Quinns, or (laughs) they could be punch another guy's character out the ship, and he gets nothing this turn. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that just what what you're doing (laughs) in the game, which is every around, when you have these six cards, you're going to attack, as a group of pirates, six ships. So every every turn, all of you play a card onto this ship you're attacking in yes. secret. And then you all get to take treasure away from it. So let's say it's round one and we explore a ship that's nothing but good stuff. And we all have some cards that let us take two icons, two pieces of treasure, some cards that might, yeah, punch someone else off the ship. Or the parrot, where you can deploy them and then after, then you get to, everybody flips their cards face up and then you can replace the parrot with someone else. With someone that you like. The parrot just bursts and becomes a bartender or a voodoo priest. <laughs> I've seen that happen. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, and that's the thing, and they're all unique powers and um, the, the very clever thing, before each hand begins, 
one player draws six cards, tells everyone else what those cards are, yep. and then everyone else has the same hand. Oh of no, cards. it's nine. Is, is it nine? It's seven or eight. It's it's more cards than six because after you've hit six ships, everybody will have a character left behind or a couple of characters. I was going to say, as yeah, the, that's key. As play goes along, you gradually end up with more in your hand, so everyone has to try and remember the cards that could be hanging around, right? As well as the new crew cards that they've got every turn, and you end up with. Kind of a more complicated hand, but not necessarily because sometimes characters just get killed or yeah. swapped out or chucked in the graveyard. Or Right, so this is the thing. Basically, every turn, everybody's throwing pirates at these ships, which is fine to begin with because you all have the same people, but come the second sort of campaign, you're all going to have those people left over that you didn't play in the first hand, then yeah. that gets added to another six that you all have. Yeah. Which means that by the third round of the game, somebody plays a priest, which gets rid of all treasure but one. And, uh, you know, because the priest is, is r- reminding everyone not to be greedy or whatever. And um, and you think, ah, somebody's still holding their priest? I thought we got rid of them all in the first round. Yeah. And then you get dicked because you have to be the one to arrest a Spanish officer or you have to take the cursed treasure. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? The treasure that you start off with, um, you, you get to see what the treasure is on these vessels. So you're trying to lay your guys out thinking, all right, this round I want to grab that stuff. And then next round I should save this character for next round because right. I want to go first. But if I have a merchant, he can sell a collection of things for money. So even if I get a collection of crap with a merchant, I can sell that. So actually, I want the crap next turn. Right, except perhaps me sat adjacent to you, sees what you're doing and plays my gunner, which allows me to pay some gold to shoot your merchant. Or you get a sword and you stab me because there was a sword on the ship, which I didn't get because it's not worth any money. (laughs) But that's quite good for... Killing people, yeah. yeah. So no, it's just one, and like, yeah, you've got that central mechanic of uh, which I suppose we've explained yet. Oh, we're awful at this. Which is um, so if we're if we're playing in a game of four, you've got the ship, you've got four pieces of treasure on it. Everyone chooses their character, and every character will have a number from one to thirty. So if I play my captain, who's like twenty nine, I'm going to get the first pick of the treasure. Except then there's wonderful stuff like the beggar card, which is if you play a beggar who has a very low number, so you'll get one of the last picks of treasure on the ship, but you will also get three gold off whoever played the highest number. And it's all like this all the time. Yeah. It's all looking at your numbers and looking at your powers and thinking, oh my god, if I just do this this time... I can have a fantastic time and make everyone else really upset. Except it never works out, does it? Because everyone second-guesses you. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Another game which is as uh, sort of uh, thematic as it is just accessible. You could take it to anyone's house. It's accessible, um, and it has, funnily enough, thinking about Spartacus, where I didn't feel like there was enough traction, I feel like... I'm more in control of what I do to other people and I can guess what they're going to try and do to me and that's important. It's nothing but traction. Like, you have a grip on the game, which I actually find quite frustrating because when I lose, I know it's just my fault. There's really almost no random chance. Uh, That's true, yeah. That's really true. It's just trying to be savvy and timing, I guess. The greatest thing that happened in the game uh, that I've played was... um, Oh, God. So there was one wonderful, glorious treasure. Well, no, it had one of the most valuable pieces of treasure in the game and a bunch of crap. And uh, so it was that question of, do you play the highest card? Do you go for it? And when we all six-player game, all of us sent our people in. It was one pirate ambassador and five beggars. So everyone had gone, oh, I'm not going to get the good treasure, but I'll get some money off the person at the top. So the person at the top had to pay 15 gold, which is the equivalent of losing a hand while or something. Yeah, while everyone else just passes money between each other. <laughs> the the yeah, it was... the, the other thing that can happen is you all, you all imagine someone's going to play a high character, so you all pick your... 
What's his name? The Bruiser or something? Oh, who can def- who defeats the highest card? And you end up with a collection of like four bruisers all punching each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god. And then there's wonderful stuff like um, Mama Water, I think. Oh, I know. This- yes. So yeah. Because this is the great thing. Because you only ever play with eighteen or however many characters, twenty-one maybe in a game. If you play a game, you're not going to see all the characters. Yeah. By the time you play the second game, you probably still won't have seen them all, which is great. Um, but Mama Water is interesting because she generates, I think, money. Again, I think I've just got this wrong. But she generates money for you constantly, only if she's the only one on the board, which yeah. I interpreted as you as the pirate captain can say, I've got the mythical sea princess. She's she's real and she's on my island, which is great kudos for you. Unless there's two people going, I've got the mythical, and then people go, that's just bollocks, isn't it? And then it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, until yeah. someone shoots your Mama Water <laughs> or assassinates her or something. At which point everything is fine all over again. Let's close by talking about the monkey. Um, <laughs> so there are, the worst treasure item in the game is a cursed relic, which is worth negative three gold. And if you actually uh, play the captain, then because the captain is the one who gets the curse, if you do play the captain and he's alive on your island and you can't get him killed off by something like the mutineer, then all relics are worth negative six instead of negative three. But the monkey... <laughs> The monkey lets you pass uh, relics, these cursed relics, All to the, the relics player. On your board. All on your board to your left, <laughs> which is interesting because, first of all, obviously you could you could have a collection of them and go, oh, this is not very good. Play the card. They all go left. If for some reason I don't know, hypothetically, the player to your left has a bunch of cursed stuff, they get all yours. But then their turn come around, comes around and they have a monkey. Yeah. All yours and all their cursed tokens will immediately go to the player on their left. Right, now what the people at home need to do is remember that this is a game where that monkey could not... All the monkeys might not be played in the first round, so you get yeah. this sort of comedy hot potato in the first round. Then in the third round, finally, just as you think you've won, some, a monkey appears, and you go, no! They, they, they should be gone! Or you just spend the entire game knowing that a monkey is loose somewhere. <laughs> and yeah. watching someone next to you maybe grab a, t- you know, a whole pile of cursed tokens that they might try and sell off with their merchant, or they might use another power to cash in. Yeah, and then a monkey appears. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful game! Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, what? A, it's uh, very good, isn't it? Yes, that's what. I, that's, those are the words <laughs> I was trying to get out of my mouth. Um, we have, we have. Uh, we still have four games to get through. Jeez. Okay. Oh, let's see what happens. Do you want to roll high numbers? This is what happens when you tell Paul to roll high numbers. Actually, four is core worlds. We haven't done four, which is fine. I haven't. Played core, core worlds. worlds. Core worlds is a deck builder. Can like I guess? Do you have to build the world that's? No, I don't know. Go on. Uh, Go on. Like the world that's the most central to the galaxy or the core of the galaxy. Do you have to build a deck which is a planet? Kind of. Okay. It's not really. It's set in space. Go. It's far yes. future spaceship. The main thing is it has planets, and planets are quite good. Um, <laughs> so it, just in case people at home don't know a deck builder is a game where there's lots of cards for sale sort of in the middle of the table Yes. and you have your deck and you're drawing hands off it like a, like a, most card games except um, you're adding cards to this deck so you're trying to build a little engine that's usually how these games work yeah that's a, a really good description you are <clears throat> using your cards to buy other cards which are then good cards to buy more cards which give you more powers as the game goes along um, in Call of Worlds players are trying to do what? They're trying to collect planets, which give them energy. Energy is useful, because energy lets you do more stuff on your turn, which is basically get more planets. (laughs) Or, 
uh, more units like spaceships, ground troops, because as the game progresses, it has different stages where it escalates and you bring out a new deck of cards. Oh, really? Those cards are more expensive and more powerful. Hopefully in the previous round, you grabbed enough extra cheaper spaceships and cheaper planets that they're now generating you energy, allowing you to do more stuff. So you can get better ships, better planets, bring those in, and then when the next round of cards appears and you're shuffling your deck again and you're putting them out, you have better stuff. And with any luck, you've cycled out some of the weaker things, so you're scoring more points. So it's like Dominion, but with three acts. It's like Dominion with, I think, three or four acts. That's exactly right. It's like a game with escalation. And every round or two, you're hopefully removing a couple of the weaker cards. So traditionally, I mean, the most the, the big complaint level that Dominion and that lots of deck builders try and solve, including the one we're about to talk about next, is um, uh, the players don't really... There's no interaction between players. You know, you can follow what other people are doing, and you can, in some, you know, well, yeah. So, does Core Worlds let me play with people? No. Ah. Well, you see, this is the thing. Uh, it's it gives you a lot to think about. It's very engaging in that Dominion kind of way, where you know, every every time the play uh, the first player token comes round, and you have a new player beginning, and you're looking at the cards and thinking. Um, can I make my move this turn or am I going to lay out cards in front of me which I will then use next turn because you can do that and you know draw some more uh, you always have a lot to think about and you always have a lot to keep you busy with trying to work out the values of how many ships you need to grab a more expensive planet but that does take away from the fact that you don't do very much with other people except try and jump on stuff before they do right. the key thing is because you might need ten ships to seize a planet you can't play all those ships in one turn necessarily so you might play half of them and they'll sit in a kind of a buffer in oh, front so of you oh so you can watch what players are doing you can and that's the thing it's is this you being generous of, no I quite liked it and I thought it was pretty good uh, but I'm I've always been a bit of a deck builder fan I'm a big Dominion fan and I've not been bothered as much by the lack of interaction as other people might be but I can see how players who aren't keen on that might turn their noses up and I would respect their opinion if they did. So the other just straight up deck builder we've been looking at is Thunderstone. Yes. And so how does it com- so Thunderstone is a deck builder where it, it tries to add a bit more flavour to Dominion by the deck you're building is really a party of really bleak, tired, diseased adventurers who go into a dungeon and that the the closest thing to interaction it has is that uh, there are only ever three monsters in the dungeon and you have to hack your way through them collectively. Yes. So if, if there is a big mo- if you know as every player kills a monster, everyone cares about that because it means a new one comes in. You've played Thunderstone, right? Yeah. I have. Uh, I haven't played Thunderstone in a while, which is... I don't know if that's telling, or I don't know if it's just because I haven't had time. Um, but maybe the theme didn't appeal to me as much. You like spaceships more than swords. Well, it was... When I'm, it's funny you say that. It might be the, a combination of the theme and the mechanics. I felt like the mechanics removed me from the deck building fun because I was paying more attention to the board and less attention yeah, to the whereas, okay, so whereas Core Worlds really you're focused on your deck it's your deck it's got flavour and theme and you okay. do um, and you're you're constantly trying to cycle cards out of it because every time you purchase a planet you can stick troops on it and if they're cheap crappy troops you had at the start of the game they're now at the way and then the uber robo troops that you spend robo a lot troops. of money on or whatever they are um, you know those are now in your deck they're more likely to appear and they're more likely to enable you to grab a more expensive planet Let's it's quite good and it's my kind of thing but now see, see now we're gonna i haven't played core worlds but we're gonna disagree on this next one because we've played some puzzle strike third edition <laughs> which is a deck builder so to speak except with chips and so um 
it's it's actually a, a fighting game. It, it it's very it's actually by a guy who um, who used to do balancing and work on the Street Fighter video games. And so he's very into his fighting games. And yeah. this is a deck builder where rather than building a deck of cards, you're building a bag of chips and you're slotting sort of poker chips into your bag, all of which are different moves. But it's desperate, just hungry to, to fix <laughs> the, um, uh, the lack of player interaction. Because what you're doing is you're getting these gems and your board is filling up with gems. If you have ten gems, the game's over. And the game is in sort of punching these gems in a super, street, super puzzle fighter style, which then go onto your friend's board. And if he can counter that by playing a chip from his hand, he can do that, and then the gems meet in midair and shatter, and that buys you more time. Um, or you can combine gems in your stack, so you don't get rid of them immediately, but it goes a one becomes a two, and then you combine a two with a one, and then it becomes a three, and then you throw it. Yeah. And if your friend can block it, that's, you know, and so on. And the thing is, obviously, the game ends when I think someone reaches ten gems, yeah. in the, which is like they've taken ten hits, but you may not want that to happen, so because can, that's when can, the game ends. It yeah. doesn't determine who wins. No, what uh, the person who wins is the person with the least gems in their stack when that happens. So if yeah. you're building a long-term engine, then you can desperately, and I love this, you can throw gems into the air that crash sideways into what's been thrown at your friend to just buy them more time, which is really cute. And plus, using chips is, is just, I mean, it's a novelty, but well, nice you know cardstock things, you know? It's a bit like reaching into the bag, pulling your chips out, is a bit like the Quarry's kind of thing of you're gradually amassing a sack of Yeah, nothing stuff. will be as nice in your hand as Quarry is in those little gem cubes, I don't think. That is probably true, but uh, but this is a game with way more interaction than yeah. Warriors. I like it a lot. I really want to play it again. I'd even go as far as maybe wanting to get a bit good at it. You, it didn't, it didn't grab you. It was f- well. This is it. I, I mean, I just, I just but said it has that different characters you can be, and they have different starting chips. That's neat. which is fine and good and interestingly absent from a lot of deck building stuff. Yeah. Well, not entirely, uh, but yeah, somewhat. Uh, it was. I was okay with it. I mean, I just said Core Worlds was fine, but Core Worlds was fine in a quite nice kind of but way. Your, puzzle quest. Out of the two of us, I'm usually a more aggressive, puzzle strike, aggressive puzzle, 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 puzzle strike. Um, out of the two of us, usually I'm a bit more fighty, mad, aggressive, competitive. So, do you think it might be that you you actually don't necessarily want to punch your friends with gems? <laughs> Throw rubies at them? Not definitely not in the real world. I don't. I I don't know. I don't mind that at all in games, and I do. I'd like to think I still do play a lot of stuff like that. Uh, bonus um, round. What would someone have to do at the board gaming table to make you want to throw a real life ruby at them? What would be a pet peeve that would just drive you crazy? And you'll have to wait till the end of the podcast to find that out. Oh wow! I'll, ha- I'll have to think that long. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Next time I'm talking. Next know. time I'm just rambling. You can just you can you can think about it then. Would it it'd have to be something in the game? It's not like they just say something rude to me or. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah. No, it can't be just like Paul. I, I did something to your parents. <laughs> no, it can't. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, sort of think on that. Okay. Um, Hmm. I'm going to roll the dice, but I'm just going to go for odds and evens because we only have two games left. Uh, four. Right. Which one is that? I didn't decide what was odd <laughs> and what was even. Uh, let's go with Descent Second Edition because I'm excited to talk well, about okay, that. Well, okay, I told you a bit about Core Worlds. Could you tell me a bit about it? Because I've talked to people a lot about it, but I haven't properly touched it. So, if you've seen our Descent special, which was the second ever episode we did to show people just how big board games can be, um, Paul and myself uh, played a full campaign of Descent Road to Legend. Yes. And Descent is a game where four players control heroes, you know, a, a, a priest and a warrior and all that incredibly 
trite, you know. Yeah, from uh, from a pretty good array of heroes. Yeah, from a big array of heroes, it gets bigger when you add expansions. And one player is an overlord, and so the heroes go into a dungeon, and it's a grid-based miniatures game, and the overlord's dropping in dragons and bats, and and you know spiders are throwing webs at you, and the heroes are fighting them. So it's a tactics game. But what made Descent fabulous is that you know you can play standoff dun- one-off dungeons. Stand- I don't know what a standoffish dungeon would be. Maybe just the doors closed. Um, but. Uh, uh, the the campaign mode strung all of your descent games into a a thing that took place over hundreds of hours. You know, you the heroes explored an overworld, which the yeah. overlord was moving his lieutenants around and trying to siege cities. He's trying to conquer things, destroy them, and you're trying to intercept him at the last moment or grab one of his lieutenants. Yeah, and, and assassinate and him. insanely, like you know, Road to Legend came up with with five different overlords and four different plots he can try and enact, yeah. as if anyone's going to play this game more than once after. 300 hours or whatever I, I can imagine that if I especially like the teen version of myself well, maybe, maybe maybe okay so anyway uh, but Paul and I were in a campaign and I was Runemaster Thorn the wizard and Paul was Grey Kerr or Two Hole Kerr after in our first dungeon he got pushed into a hole twice by a lich or something um, but anyway so Paul and I love the scent <laughs> um, but it's a bit broken it's a bit uh, too big it's it's um, it's also it's old now it's like you know from the early noughties it came out which is uh, can be okay yeah. but it needs uh, the thing with Cosmic Encounter of being a really old game is it's been refined quite carefully many yeah. times and the, the idea of Descent 2nd Edition is obviously it's fixed yeah. the and this is, this is really Fantasy Flight doing a 2nd Edition properly it's gorgeous you know these miniatures the cards the tokens the board uh, yeah it's, it's, it's very much a, it's a different game that's not a different game you still have heroes using their all important fatigue mechanic to get tired and running around and you, they still get equipment, um, but Descent Second Edition comes with a campaign right out of the box. No need for an expansion, and then you get an Overlord yeah. player. But it's only about 15 dungeons this time, each of which have two levels, but it's much shorter, which I think is a really good idea. And so actually, to be frank, I think Descent Second Edition is just a better game. I would, in the same way we recommended Descent to anyone, now Second Edition's out, I would recommend it to everybody. Like The heroes are so colourful, you're not just a wizard, but now you pick an archetype for them, so you're a wizard necromancer, and then you can buy oh, yes. skills from the necromancy deck of cards. And so all the hero players have a lot more to think about. It's not just the equipment, it's skills as well. Best of all, I mean, never mind the loveliness of just it not having bugs and and just moving a big hound and then a hero running up and hitting it with an axe and you roll a dice and it's, it's fabulous. Um, you have... What on earth was I going to say? Uh, I know what I was going to ask, but I don't want to interrupt your oh flow. Oh my god, where was I? You Hounds, were talking about axes. how it was a real second edition. Yeah, there's something it does that's really good. Oh my god, there's my no outtakes. You just have to brain. keep doing this. My horrible brain. Have you maybe have you had your tea yet? Is right. there any? Yeah, left? there's no tea left. Jesus, we're in trouble. Okay, no, I just can't remember. But ah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, what it does, it, Descent was often just make your way from one end of the dungeon to another. Yeah. You know? And there were dozens and dozens and dozens of dungeon combinations, and there was a lot of colour, but Descent 2nd Edition takes that colour and turns it into something outrageous. Wow. All the, like, the, uh, the tutorial sort of level is the heroes trying to stop goblins from making it through an exit, like the goblins are all scattering and running away, and the heroes have to kill them before they run off. The mission we just stopped playing was um, the Overlord, who's me this time, and I'm enjoying bullying heroes an awful lot. Um, the heroes come upon the Overlord attacking a castle, and on that first dungeon level, it's it's all open world, and the Overlord's trying to kill villagers. 
and that sort of symbolises how successful the raid is while the heroes are trying to light beacons that send up that ask for help Yeah. and when we we, we have to stop there and I'm, I'm desperate to go back and play and, and go back to throwing dice and moving little plastic pieces around because when we get to that second castle level which is the first thing we'll play every villager I killed in that first level will come back on my side as a zombie whereas if they'd saved any villagers and I think they saved one those villagers become men at arms that they charge into the castle with so that gives you more of a feeling of consequence to what's going it does, on it's, it's, it's a campaign that's much that, that's just so well thought out and more importantly it means ah. that every dungeon level the heroes are trying to do something unique every time you play it it's not just we're going into a dungeon again it's an event you know and, and there's things really roll on and like things build on other things like at the end of certain dungeons if the heroes win they'll get a relic a super great sword if the overlord wins he'll get the same sword but he can equip his lieutenants with it a yeah. dark version god it's so colourful which gives you a little more at stake to actually play for and that you can feel is, is then affecting yeah the ongoing game and the overlord has some deck building too you now can buy cards with experience and slot oh. them into your deck and take other cards out yeah, it's it's really just fabulous. The thing that I really want to ask is, uh, did it feel a lot more balanced? Did it feel less buggy? How did that... Well, Obviously, I guess you might want to play it a bit more. Yeah, uh, I've only really just started. I mean, it took, a lo- it took a while before our Descent campaign started showing cracks. You know, we must have met up for about... That's true. Seven or eight, maybe five, six evenings before we before Rob started realising how to turn your archer into a machine gun, uh, but by just equipping with this item and this skill and this other skill. Whereas, um, yeah, second edition might take more time. But the fact is, because the campaign's so much shorter, uh, in you, theory, that should yeah, that should be less of a big deal because you get to the end. Yeah, yeah. I think, and you know, I mean, if it gets a bit broken, I mean, that's okay because I'm just having so much fun. But fundamentally so far it's just a better game it's prettier it's it's got more flavor more color more theme god i want to play it right now jesus sorry i got a bit excited do you okay what's well it's good we're near the end and we're <laughs> i still haven't thought up a reason to fire rubies into someone's eyes well but i'll i'm working on it okay uh i've seen you get quite angry at you know board game tables before have i well not have really. I really done that no it's i remember you we played the resistance once and you couldn't convince anyone you were innocent and so you sort of you stepped back and became like the kid from the beginning of Battle Royale who's been through a lot and he just sits in the window so although the thing is when stuff like that happens you have to pick your your moment your reason to do something or you have to just show people rather than try and beat against a brick wall yeah I've seen some people playing the resistance Tom and also I'm quite bad for it will just try and brute force opinions on people although I've got to say a problem I have with anything like the resistance is I tend to really enjoy watching everyone play and I forget I'm in the game <laughs> because it's just people it's theater, flapping isn't it? yeah and that, I, I like that and I just that I'd be tempted if I'm on the good side to just throw in fail tokens on the resistance missions to make everything more interesting wow. I haven't because that would make me a terrible person but also if you know the... I can think about it in my head oh my god uh, and finally I've played clips Right. Do I you? haven't. <laughs> I haven't, no. Um, but you and I are both big fans of Twilight Imperium, so that's that, that game is a, we are. is a comedically big space opera that takes eight hours to play. And, and Eclipse is something trade. we've looked at before and we've expressed interest in, and yeah. we're not the only people, are we? Eclipse are. is a Finnish game, I think, or Norwegian. Is it? Yeah. Well, they're, they're basically the same. Basically. And they're all the same up there. <laughs> Cold? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Eclipse, yeah, is, uh, borrows a, it, it, it tries to condense Twilight Imperium, all that space opera, into a much shorter game. Sweden. Does, does it with a lot of... What, is Sweden... 
It's up there. It's cold. Uh, so is it? It's physically smaller as well. The box is about. I don't a third mean Sweden. The, I mean the game of the size. Sweden's about a third of the size of America, and Eclipse is about a third of the size of uh, it's Sweden's. Sweden's big, actually. I was going to correct myself, but no, Sweden's huge. I might be right. Uh, so Eclipse does a lot of bookkeeping, very very clever things with wooden cubes, basically. So like oh. rather than having to calculate all your income. Every time you take a planet, you pick up one of the cubes off your big player sheet and place it down. And as you put more of these cubes down, it reveals numbers that were underneath those cubes, like an advent calendar. Which means rather than having to count up your planets or anything, you know you've got eight cubes on the board, and you look at your sheet and it says seven, and you know seven's your so income. So it's quite, it's quite visual in that way, and everyone else can glance at what you're what doing it and is they is have an elegant. idea. Twilight Imperium is big and it's colourful, it's a rainbow of, of, of politics and combat and, and history, but... Eclipse is elegant, and um, mm. and that counts for a lot. Like the way you outfit your ships as well would seem really complicated. Like you can you can put engines on them, and you can put laser guns, and you have to everything has to if you ha- you have to not use too much power. You have mm. to, and that's actually incredibly simple because when you get a tech, you pick up a tile with, with a picture of like if you get a new laser gun, it's just a, it's sm- a small tile with a laser gun, and on your sheet are some ships, and you can put that laser gun tile on a ship, covering up one of the starting things. And maybe that's you don't have enough power, so maybe you need to cover up the reactor with a better reactor too. And it's all stuff you can look at and understand very quickly. Uh, yeah, the rules explanation is not. It's it's still a complicated state game. It's still heavy tactical. There's a lot to to explain, but fundamentally, it's just so much faster. And it's it does everything. A lot of things with um, covering things up and taking them out, basically, like you. Uh, but uh, no, like Scandinavian, like like people from Iceland. like people from Finnish. From finish. From finish. <laughs> oh god, we're so sorry. I finished. Right, near the end, we can we can keep going. Keep um, going. Okay, focus. So that makes it sound to me like it's uh, a little more efficient to play. Then, like you spend less time staring and more time deciding. It is efficient to play, and it That's still good. has the Twilight Imperium thing of attack me, don't attack me politics. It yeah. still has some different races, but it's kind of like Twilight Imperium was drained of its color and was put out for everyone to play by a government, like. If, I don't know, let's say uh, the guy who made Twilight Imp- no, that No, where on earth am I going with this? Uh, it It's a European version of Twilight Imperium in many, many ways. It, it's it's yeah. designed beautifully, like, it's neat. The best player will win probably much, much more often than in Twilight Imperium. Uh, because Twilight Imperium just has so many moving, moving parts and random chance stuff. Yeah. And yet, Eclipse still has the op- opportunity for everyone to roll big handfuls of dice. Different coloured dice, depending on how powerful your weapon is. Estonia is up there. I've been to Estonia. What was Estonia like? To Finland. You played some board games in Estonia, didn't you? I played Citadels on the ferry on the way there. That sounds so romantic. Why wasn't I and, invited? Uh, I've now remembered the music that played on the ferry. Uh, and we have to move on. No, you, because you, you it was can awful. sing it for people. Okay, it was, a, it was a thing where a woman kept singing the phrase, seasons may change. A bit like if, you know when your computer crashes and you have a WAV file that skips <laughs> the same five seconds? Right. Imagine that, but on a ferry for two hours to Estonia. Everywhere in the ferry, so you can't avoid it. You can't, like, Even hide the it. toilets and... I didn't go to the toilet on the ferry to Estonia. I went to the toilet in Estonia which was great. Tallinn has a really big, lovely old town. And, looks and a good brilliant. toilet? It, what, there's certainly the toilets I used all worked very well. The sample size... So Citadels <laughs> is... But Citadels, Citadels is really portable. Finally, have, uh, just we'll close with this. Have you seen uh, the, the guy who made Citadels making a game called Masquerade, which looks so clever? No. Oh, it's a bit good. Y- y- mm, I've 
haven't looked at it. I've heard the name and I heard that he was doing it. I haven't looked at anything to do with So Masquerade and the Coup, there's a lot of games coming out at the minute which all seem a bit similar, but Masquerade, I'm gonna let's see how excited you get by this concept. It's like Citadels, but you get Delta Character Card. Everyone has to try and amass some money, like thirteen or twelve coins. Yeah. And on your turn you will you have two options. One of which is to declare you're a character and use their power. Like I'm the queen and I will use my power to take three gold, which is what the queen does. Okay. Your other option is to take somebody else's character card put them both under the table, and then give them one of their cards back. So, like, let's say, you're, let's say you are the queen, and you take someone else's card, you look at it, they're a painter. I don't know any other roles yet, the game's not out. But then you can either give them back the painter or the queen, but they don't know what you've given them back. And you can't look at the card you are. The only time you can ever look at the card you are is when you declare it and someone challenges you, or when you first get dealt that card. So you will rapidly forget what yes. cards you've even given people. And so you can say, I'm the queen and give me three gold. And someone says, no, I think I'm the queen. And then they challenge you and it turns out you're not even the queen and you thought you were. I'm so excited by this. Just bluffing and cleverness and, and three-card Monty all in a kind of... It's, that immediately sounds very good and also like a very realistic representation of my life. <laughs> How so? I'm not doing that. Why am I doing that? Where are my pants? In that kind of sort of way. Where are why, your pants? Why, why am I in a field in four in the morning in France in nothing on no clothes? We're going to need to talk about this, Paul. There, uh, you know what? I could tell you a story about a guy I knew and a mini and a field, and this is true, and it shouldn't go on the podcast. Okay, so well, why don't I'm, we have another cup of tea and you can tell me that story and thank everybody for listening. Because I don't know why I would throw a ruby at someone. What if... It wouldn't be something they did in the game. It would have to be either they'd be uh, deliberately playing the game wrong to annoy everyone, which wouldn't happen for anyone we know, because everyone we know is nice. <laughs> I don't know. But there must be there must be something. There must be something. And on that note... <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe next time we'll get to the bottom of this. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, stay dicey. I do have pants on now, don't I? I haven't checked, but I'm kind of guessing. That Bye! Bye!